Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. I am your host, David Dacri. I'm a hospitality professional with two decades of experience in the bar and restaurant industry. My pursuit in this podcast is to have difficult conversations of our industry and of society as a whole. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Man, it's been uh, quite the week, quite the month, hell, quite the year. I mean, we know that, but uh, I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you are keeping safe and uh, and protecting yourself and uh, wearing the right face mask. There's a lot of information out there that are speaking against it, but, you know, wearing the, the homemade face mask or the... For, for other people's safety but for your own safety you should be wearing an N95 I mean N95s is really hard to get these days because they protect first responders and as much as you know want you to stay safe I mean you got to be careful because there aren't that many out there there are companies that are making masks that look like N95s but are not so make sure that you pay attention whenever you buy these things so that way you know what type of protection it is that you have because you can get a little bit too comfortable sometimes wearing a mask, get too close to people and end up exposing yourself without realizing it. The main, main, the number one um, protector as far as the CDC and the WHO is social distancing. If you keep your distance and those particles can't get to you, then you're, you're safe. The other part is that whenever someone is wearing a mask and you're wearing a mask, those particles are going to travel uh, less distance. But still, you want to be on the safe side, keep that distance between you and, and other people. And it can be hard, but I think that we're at that point now where it's been drilled into us and, and we can we can make the uh, necessary changes to to stay safe until there's a vaccine. And from the research that I've looked at, there's not going to be a vaccine this year. And this is from looking at what investors are doing. Um, they do not, they're not investing like this is going to be gone this year. This is, this is next spring, mid next spring, early, would be the early early part and then uh, early summer is uh, the, the, the more realistic. So that's just my, my two cents right now. I mean, we can go back in, in three months and, and check out, you know, uh, today is uh, uh, July uh, the 10th. I've been working on this uh, episode all week, but today is July the 10th. So let's see how things, how, how this uh, podcast uh, ages. That said, uh, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about in this podcast, in this episode, and, and, and the two things are correlate in, in, in with one another, and that is that of toxic masculinity and of misogyny. I think that the toxic masculinity is presented the wrong way and is misunderstood, um, and then I think that misogyny is a much more universal and far-reaching um, ideal for the president than most people are considering and we'll look into the history of uh, of that here in the united states all right so let's get to it 
So today I want to talk about something that uh, has been on my mind and it bothers me. Not a whole lot, but it does. And it is um, something that I feel like if it continues to gain traction is actually going to head off in the wrong direction. And I wouldn't want that to happen because I think that is something that is important. And it it has the potential of, of, of instigating the changes that are necessary in our society. And that is the idea of toxic masculinity. And toxic masculinity only exists alongside toxic femininity. And why do I say that? I say that because... I think what most people are trying to say is misogyny. Misogyny is the thing where you have men, whether it's in politics or in religion mostly, or in society in general, that believe that their physical prowess and superiority to women, physiologically, that's just, when it comes to war, it's just the way it is right now, okay? Um, It makes them... It gives them the right to do whatever they want uh, to women. It's, it's the mentality of, of might makes right. And, and we saw that in, in the recent case of Vanessa Gillian, which is the soldier in Fort Hood here in Texas that was murdered by someone that she worked with because he had harassed her and she was going to report him. And, and in the way that this report is written and the way that the incident uh, seems to have been it, that guy didn't hesitate to kill this person in order to not be accused of something he did and in order to not face the consequences of what he did. Okay, that is very important because that is the main difference here in everything that has to do with issues between men and women and between harassment, right? It is that a misogynist doesn't feel like he ever is... Um, needs to suffer any consequences for anything that is his what he believes to be his natural inclination and that belief seems to have really permeated and been part of his chain of command and within the the army because of two things one is the one that the way that the the murder and the disappearance actually the disappearance was handled was poorly it was like they didn't really give a shit. They had a, a soldier missing, right? And um, and then the murder was was covered uh, was uncovered. But that was mostly mostly because of of public uh, civilian pressure on this. And the other one is that since then there have been multiple women that have come out um, saying how the chain of command um, chose to to treat their their them. And their reports on on harassment or sometimes even rape, right? It's, it's a lot of times just swept on under the t- table. But there's a lot at work here because you have to understand that the military it's very different than the police. In police departments, the policemen train in such a way that they may have to someday kill somebody, right? They they carry a, a gun, a lethal weapon. And that is part of the job. The majority of the job should be in keeping peace and de-escalating. But we've had problems with that. And that's why the protests that we've had recently have, have been um, 
so widespread. They've been global. But in the military, the whole point of the military is to fight a foreign enemy most of the time. It does say foreign and domestic, but you know, most of the time you're going to be fighting a foreign um, enemy, an enemy that you are supposed to kill. So that is what your training is for. And that is what they look for when they have people uh, in the military. And some people, that's why they'll look at the other side because it's like, yeah, and this guy, I definitely want to go to war with this guy. He's my lunatic, you know, he's my psycho guy. So there's that that needs to be taken into consideration when you talk about these things in the military. And I'm not saying that it's like, oh, it, it should exist because of that. No, not at all. Because it has been shown that this type of harassment and rape and, and, and um, that type of treatment of the female soldiers is actually very bad for unit uh, cohesiveness. So you have a less cohesive military whenever women don't feel safe. That just goes to say because, you know, part of the people in, you know, that don't feel safe in the military are males too. So that goes in general, but especially whenever you're being harassed by a superior, someone within your ranks, and you have nowhere to go and no one to talk to, especially if you're in a foreign country at war. I mean, you got the enemy on one side and then you got your chain of command that is, you know, harassing you and, 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 and worse. But what that, the, the reason that exists, that, that mindset, that, that culture is misogyny. It's not toxic masculinity. It is misogyny because it's ingrained, it's structural, is within the institutions, whether the institution is a church the Congress, a school, military, it is misogyny. That is, that is what is there. Toxic masculinity is a form of that, but that only exists whenever there's toxic femininity. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you have a woman, and, and usually this happens in relationship, but it happens at work too. You have a female that will instigate and will nag you and will fuck with you and will, you know, get in your face and, and talk shit to you. And, and it makes you, it tries to, to um, emasculate you. That is toxic femininity. Whenever you want to, the, the, the woman wants to emasculate a man just because she disagrees with him, right? And normally the toxic masculinity comes out whenever the man feels, well, I'm just going to beat the shit out of you. They're both wrong. Both of them. And so, let's not confuse the two. Because misogyny is the thing that we need to, to, to deal with in society. That toxic masculinity that you talk, to, talk about comes out from insecure men being, feeling threatened by a, a woman. And that can get very complicated, but that is also at the individual level. You don't have one without the other. Misogyny is something that is ingrained in our society. It's actually ingrained in, in the global society. Um, but that is the one that I think that most people that are talking about toxic masculinity are actually referring to 
because it's something that we can all unite against since we find those in institutions and in society and it's ingrained in our society. Now this next thing, this next thing is about the English language. It's about little expressions we use. We, we all say them, the little sayings and expressions that we use all the time, most of us. And we never really seem to examine these expressions very carefully at all. We just sort of say these things as if they really made sense. Like, legally drunk. <laughs> well, if it's legal, what's the fucking problem? Leave my friend alone, officer. He's legally drunk. <laughs> you know you can stick it. Well, why do we always assume everyone knows where they can stick it? Suppose you don't know. Suppose you're a new guy. <laughs> you have absolutely no idea where to stick it. I think there ought to be a government booklet entitled Where to Stick It. <laughs> now that I think of it, I believe there is a government booklet like that. They sent it to you on April 15th. Undisputed heavyweight champion. Well, if it's undisputed, what's all the fighting about? <laughs> it's the quiet ones you gotta watch. You know that one, eh? Every time you see a story about a serial killer on TV, what do they do? They bring on the neighbor. And the neighbor says, well, he was always very quiet. And someone in the room says, it's the quiet ones you gotta watch. This sounds to me like a very dangerous assumption. I will bet you anything that while you're watching a quiet one, a noisy one will fucking kill you. <laughs> Suppose you're in a bar and one guy's sitting over on the side reading a book, not bothering anybody. Another guy's standing up at the front with a machete, banging it on the bar, saying, I'll kill the next motherfucker who comes in here. Who are you gonna watch? So the 4th of July just happened a couple of days ago. And obviously several things went through my mind. One of them was just, um, I think of people who have the tradition of watching Independence Day, the movie, on, on that day. You know, it's, it's clever, it's funny, it's, it's a good movie, right? And it's entertaining and it's Will Smith. And then there, there's also in the movie this speech that the uh, president gives where it unifies these forces from all around the world and all these people that are fighting against the aliens or the earthlings, right? It unifies the earthlings. And then on the 4th of July, we have the actual president give a speech in Mount Rushmore. Um, and instead of giving a, a unifying speech to the nation, he gives a unifying speech for his followers. Very different. And in part of that is it, it made me think of the what is it that brought us here? How is it that some people, especially um, uh, churches and religious uh, people, can 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 see no no wrong with this president? And in that, it made me think of the Puritans that came here to the United States way back in 1620. And in that, the, the family structure, the nucleus, was basically something that we still saw in the 50s, which was 
father knows best, right? And therefore, father could do no wrong. He, regardless of how incompetent or ignorant he was, you still go along. You know, you just get taught as a, even as a child to just yeah, 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 nod your head and just just agree with him and let him go and sit on the couch and do whatever. And it goes along with that Puritan family nucleus, right? But whenever you you the you look at the story that is given about how Puritans ended up here um, and how um, churches and followers of, of, of him view themselves is very similar. So the story is that Puritans came to the, to the, to North America fleeing um, religious um, uh, persecution, right? And that is too, too true to a degree. When you look at um, his followers, um, the president's followers, then you, you see somebody that also views themselves as being persecuted because of the religion. Now, there's more that, that is in line with these. The religious persecution that the Puritans were escaping from in England was the persecution they had perpetrated on people in England. So they got tired of this shit and, and just pushed them out. Basically, you know, they, their lives were on the line. And that's why they, they, they migrated over, over decades. Between 1620 and, and 1680, there were three different civil wars in, uh, in England and fought over the divisive nature within the Church of England of the Puritans. Why are they called Puritans? Well, very simple. The Church of England, which was started by the, uh, was it King Charles? I think it, it was. Uh, anyways, one of the kings wanted to get a divorce. The Catholic Church says no. And uh, he gets mad at that. He gets tired of having to deal with the Pope in general. And so he cuts ties with the, the Catholic Church and, and the Church of Rome and the Pope. And, uh, and now he creates the Church of England. And because he's not a theologian of any kind, um, he doesn't really change the religion at all. It's still pretty much the Catholic Church. It's just now it's called the Church of England without a pope, which means, which benefited the, the king. Now the king is the pope too. Um, and so some people within the, the religion, the church, uh, didn't like that. And they wanted to purify the Church of England of all the Catholic rituals and dogmas. So they wanted to create their own. And it goes in, you know, you can go into checking out how it is that they did that and, and their belief. Their belief was very strict Old Testament Bible scripture. This is how they wanted to live their lives. And this is how they also wanted, ended up making laws. Very strict Old Testament Bible scriptures. And so within the church, you had that dissent, right? Those people that wanted to get rid of that. And within those Puritans, you had two types. One was the, t the one that wanted to fix the church within the ranks, right? Within, and, and they were also uh, part of parliament. Um, and so they had some influence there. And then you had the other Puritans, the other side, um, that they were the separatists, who just wanted to burn the whole fucking thing down and rebuild it exactly the way that they wanted. Does any of that sound familiar? So within that, they, they end up here 
in in North America, and they pretty much act the same way. You know, they almost died of not knowing how to cultivate the land here, um, and it was uh, they didn't know what to grow. Everything they tried to grow died, and it was the Native Americans that taught them how to grow corn that allowed them to survive, and then. <laughs> not too much after, not too long after that they pretty much find any excuse they can to take native american land and to start wars so that way they can just massacre everyone okay so they instigated wars in order to go and kill everyone or they would just abduct their children at the border true story um this is one of the things they did they actually would would take children as ransom, a ran, ransom, whenever they felt like they were wrong, so somebody would take a piece of land and end up in a scuffle with an Indian, and then would kill them, and then they would go uh, in a posse and um, and and either say, you know, we need the reparations of whatever sorts, uh, and while you put that together, we'll take sixty-two of your children. Um, but anyways, and so because they had superior weapons, um, then they were able to get away with a lot of this stuff. But getting back to my point. So these people were the kind that were going to have it their way and, they, and that was the only way. And part of the way that they were able to achieve that, obviously religion is part of that and then the political power within with the religion and it just kind of was both. There was no separation of church and state. But within the family nucleus... It was women and children were to be seen and not heard. Very, very strict in that manner. So whenever you look at what's happening today, a lot of these things apply. There's still that psyche that is absolute within the, the head of the household, the father figure. And regardless of how inept and incompetent and stupid he may be, um, that's what the family follows, and that's what they what what everyone else does. Especially whenever that person maybe have risen through the ranks, so to speak, in their community, and they are, you know, council member, mayor, or business leader, or whatever it is. They are have a loud voice, and people just follow. They don't dissent because. Part of the, the way that the, the um, Puritans back then were to have um, members, it was you had to tell your story of how it is that you were uh, saved, right? And in that, they always had some sort of committee that would listen and see if this person was going to be a dissenter themselves because they could recognize him. They were one. <laughs> so they would choose people that they didn't think were going to cause any trouble within the church and because they have a a, um, a finite way of looking at either you're saved or you're not and if you're saved there's pretty much nothing you can do to to fall out of God's favor you know there's there's a few things that you can do but not many and if you're not saved well there's very little that you can do if anything to be able to get yourself saved at least back then that's the way it was and so one of the things that made that a pain in the ass was that, or even worse than that, was that you had to be part of the church in order to own land or vote. And that was true in England, as well as when they came here 
to North America. And they owned the land because they were the ones that would go out and steal it from Native Americans and then give them as land grants to the Puritans that were coming from, from England. So whenever they're talking about leaving and, and fleeing uh, religious persecution, it was a bed that they made by persecuting anyone that was different from them and by having that pass or fail type of way within their church and then preventing people from owning land or voting uh, based on that pass or fail. And, and you should definitely look at these civil wars because there are several people that you should know and I'm going to link um, some videos on them so that way you can watch it. It's an entertaining uh, way of watching it. Um, but is uh, Oliver Cornwell is uh, one of them and then Matthew Hopkins is another one and Matthew Hopkins made a fortune by going around telling villages that they had witches and since the parliament had given them the power to go and hunt witches people would invite them in and they would get paid um, by either the townspeople or the parliament I can't remember right now but they got paid every time that they found and were able to make witches confess and the way they made these witches, these women, oftentimes um, um, women that were independent were the ones that were oftentimes witches. Uh, they would torture them. That's how they would get these confessions. And in those confessions, they would force them to give them names. And so these women gave names. You know, who knows, you know, probably of people they didn't like. But either way, they would get paid. And so... There was that incentive, but then that's when they would hang or burn or, you know, get rid of these women that were, um, as probably the, the, some of the Puritans in the villages thought of them, they were just bad for business in keeping women from raising their voice or having anything to say because the, the, one of the first recorded uh, witches that were caught and burned and you know put to death by Oliver uh, Cornwell was um, a widow and I think she was in her 60s or something like that but she was a widow independent woman out there in her own house minding her own business but it anytime you got to think about it from this point of view as a very insecure uh, male which is if that woman doesn't need a man and she's displays that and she shows that then what am I what is my wife going to be thinking maybe she doesn't need me because I'm pretty useless which is oftentimes true but the point is is that there were it was definitely one way to keep the religion um, misogynist and so we go back to again in the US in 1620s 16. 80s, you know, uh, we don't get our independent, you know, until declaring independence from Britain until you know, 17, late 18s, yeah, late 1700s. And the thing is, is whenever you look at, at how Puritans have affected our society, um, we, within the constitutions, there's two things that really are salient in, in, in looking into what the way of life that the uh, that the Puritans lived, right? And one of them is that in the Constitution, uh, Declaration of Independence, I'm sorry, there was this 
You know, you needed to be a male. Or is it the Constitution? Damn, now, now I got confused. Anyways, I'm going to go with the Constitution, whether I'm right or wrong. But in one of those articles is that men, white men, 25 or older, landowner. That's who they thought had uh, had the right to. That's who they, they gave the right to vote to. Because the idea being that these people have something to lose. They're not going to be voting nearly willy. They have something to lose. In theory, is actually a, a really good idea. But decades and now centuries have shown that that is not the best idea. Because there's a very small group of people that are going to vote according to their finite, acute uh, interest. And not in the interest of the following 90%, you know, the other 90%. The other point uh, that is in the uh, Constitution is the separation of church and and state. Because of the experience that already existed uh, within the British, uh, the colonial British, of church and state being one and the same, they understood that if they wanted a republic that would stand the test of time or have any kind of chance of standing the test of time, then they needed to separate the two. And as far as constitutions, if you look during that period of 1620 to 1680 in, in England, um, it seems like they, they wrote and ripped constitutions constantly. Every time they changed a the king, every time they dissolved parliament multiple times, there was a period of about 18 years where parliament... Uh, didn't even exist and and in that one was I believe that's the one where the Puritans kind of saw it as oh shit they're coming after us because they had a a firm grip on parliament so they were getting away with whatever they wanted and the king was tired of that shit so he dissolved parliament but in reality parliament was being dissolved every other year and then it was dissolved and not brought back for nearly 20 years But the point that I'm making here is that there are many, many correlations between what the Puritans were back then, 300 years ago, and what we have going on in our political arena, along with the conservative Bible Belt churches. And that thing is misogyny. If you want to know why women won't vote for a woman, Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, whomever it is that you put in front of them, is the conditioning that a a misogynistic household, um, the effects that it have on the person. And if you want to know why people of all colors uh, support the president, again, misogyny. Misogyny is something that exists around the world. Take a look around around this globe of the seven plus billion people. And the majority of those people live in places where father knows best. Or being a man means that you have the right. But if you want to know why these people support him, it is misogyny. And it, that is a global phenomenon. Or no, that is a global standard, not a phenomenon. No, not at all. Here's the, 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 the good news, if, if there's any about 2020. <laughs> the good news is that if you were painted, if, I'm sure that you saw 
the global protests whenever Floyd, uh, George Floyd's protests were happening here in the United States, Black Lives Matter. I feel like Black Lives Matter is going to have to evolve into something bigger because those protests were global, right? That out, that should tell you a lot. You know, there's plenty of people that are tired of the way that shit is, especially when it comes to that sort of un, un, uncertainty and unsafe world for their sisters and mothers and aunts and cousins and, and wives and daughters. There's plenty of people who don't, aren't with that shit. So there is a global connection from both sides. It's like the riot act. The riot act. They keep telling you they're going to read that to you. <laughs> Have you heard this thing at all? Especially when you're a kid, they threaten you. You wait your father comes home, he's going to read you the riot act. <laughs> Tell him I already read it myself. <laughs> and I didn't like it either. I consider it wordy and poorly thought out. <laughs> One more of these in your own words. People say that to you. You know, when you hear that a lot in a classroom or in a courtroom, they'll say to you, tell us in your own words. <laughs> Do you have your own words? <laughs> hey, I'm using the ones everybody else has been using. <laughs> Next time they tell you to say something in your own words, say, Nick Flat Blarney Quando Flu. All right, so that is it for this episode. Thank you for joining me once again. I really appreciate your support. Uh, please uh, check out the uh, website, openbar.space. Uh, again, please subscribe to uh, on TuneIn, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, or wherever else that you listen to your favorite uh, shows. And also check out the um, Instagram page at... Uh, uh, open bar experience and then on twitter at uh, at uh, the daiquiri tv i'll put all the relevant links on the comment section and if you have uh, any comments uh any suggestions then uh leave them right there remember take care of yourself take care of each other and keep the conversation going. Aguantamos al culpable cuando se hace el inocente. Aguantamos cada año a nuestro presidente. Por lo que fue y por lo que pudo ser, por lo que hay.